0: Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish
1: in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community.
0: What makes someone the greatest while others just make the wait list? The debate is on who's great. Sports commentators entering their own word boxing rings with stats on who has that one thing. The title, the greatest of all time. The GOAT with no sugar coat, just proof. Hank Aaron or Babe Ruth, Ali, Sugar Ray, Ronaldo or Pele, LeBron or Michael. These arguments recite. Montana or Brady? What about the ladies? Martina or Serena? Who owns that arena? Fame, performance, Muscle, speed, rebound, hustle, and what if it's all the greatest hustle of all time? And one life can help us redefine what greatness really means. When the last are first, roles reverse in this upside-down scoreboard. Now, no point score, no giant billboards, just three words that change the world. They debated too in their own list of who's who, this ultimate fall through, when they saw an empty tomb and knew He is Lord.
1: Amen. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you, God, that He is the greatest. And we are in a new series called, What Do You Think? And the question that we're going to be looking at today is this, can you follow Jesus and desire to be great? And that's a pretty good question, isn't it? And we all have our different definitions about what greatness really is. It might come from the realm of sports, like we've seen, or work, or maybe uh, finances, or maybe it's your hobby, or family, or even religion. Uh, it, our definitions of greatness, we have them as a culture, and we have our ideas of what we think, and that's good. But it's so important for us today in our lives to look at what is his definition of greatness. What does he think? And how does he view greatness in our lives? Because, you know, in our life, as we saw last week, we can take our views of understanding of what we think from a parent, a grandparent, from books we've read, from a school we go to from uh, someone who mentored us from a good or bad circumstance that happened in our lives. All of these shape the way that we actually think. But the importance is, it's not just what we think, but what he thinks. And so today we're going to be diving in again into the gospel of Mark and looking at what does God, who is the God of all knowledge, of unlimited knowledge, of perfect knowledge, who reveals to us in his glorious word, his knowledge for us to know how to live today and to live well. So we're going to be looking at this today and looking at this question again. Can you follow Jesus and desire to be great? Turn with me, if you will, to Mark's Gospel, chapter 9. It's important to open your Bibles or your handhelds. And let's look together at God's gracious revealed word. And it says in Mark chapter 9, verse 33 And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in the arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Lord, thank you for your great word. Thank you that you give us your knowledge. And we just praise you this day. God, show us, show us truly from your word this definition of what is true greatness. And God, please teach us as we look at this question, can you follow Jesus and desire to be great? And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So the first thing that we're going to see from this passage is this is that we all desire to be great. You see this in verses 33 through 34. Jesus and his disciples were walking from north of the Sea of Galilee all the way to Jerusalem. And they came to a town called Capernaum. Now Capernaum, there in Capernaum was the home, uh, home of Peter where he lived. And for most of the three years of Jesus' ministry, he lived there as well. And there Jesus, as they were walking along the road, he knew exactly what his disciples were arguing about. <laughs> but he, he remember, he, was, he is God, and nothing surprises him. And, and what were they talking about? You remember that Jesus had said to them twice, not once, but twice already, "I'm going to Jerusalem to die." And what are the disciples thinking about? Who's the greatest? Can you believe it? And you can imagine that, right? If someone's talking and they're saying, I'm going, I'm getting ready to die. And you talking about, you know, what am I having for lunch or something? I mean, it's like something silly. And they were arguing about something that was so trivial. And, you know, it's when we get in our focus on us and our lives and our greatness and the world's definition of greatness, we fall into the same trap. But look how Jesus calls out the disciples. He could have said to them, "How could you be so rude? Don't you know who I am?" But instead, he firmly but tenderly and patiently asks them a question in verse 33. He says this, what, "What were you discussing on the way?" And guess what? It's crickets. Chirp, chirp, chirp. You know, the response, verse 34, is dead silence, much like the silence of the Pharisees in Mark chapter 3, verse 4. I mean, it's crazy. And why were they so silent? Well, they were called out. They were exposed. They knew they had been caught. You know, and they had fallen into sin and they knew it. Because the disciples had a desire for greatness, but their definition was according to the definition of the culture they lived in. And what is our culture's view of greatness? Webster's Dictionary defines greatness this way, the quality or state of being great in size, in skill, achievement, or power. Now, if you have great skill, size, achievement, or power, the, the culture would call you great. And again, there's nothing wrong with being great in size and, and, and skill and achievement and power. But the question is, is, that's what, is that what you're chasing after? You know, think about it. Parents, with your kids, do you just want them to be great according to the achievement of the world? Is that your goal? Or, you know, you think about your lives. What is your goal for you to achieve in your very life? Well, we can chase after greatness in so many different ways. It's not just size and skill and achievement and power. We can desire to be right, which... And we, and that's a desire to be great because we have all the answers. Or we can desire to be independent so that no one will bother you. Or you can desire to get the acceptance or affirmation of others because you just want to receive that. You see, when we talk about great, we must often think about life according to us, our name, our success, how we get exalted You see, we all desire to be great just like the disciples in some way. Each one of us fall into that. But secondly, will you let God define greatness for you? And we see this in verses 35 through 37. And as we look at this passage, I want to take you back to the beginning, all the way to Genesis where Adam and Eve, who lived in this perfect garden that God had created for them. I mean, it's the perfect environment. Imagine that. And he, they walked in undistracted, perf- perfect relationship with the God of the universe. And you would think, this is what you would think, they would be absolutely satisfied. They would be good and everything would be great. But listen, what did they do? They were not satisfied with perfection. Can you believe that? And so they began to strive. They believed the lie of, the, of Satan who came in a form of a serpent. And they, they thought that their thoughts had to be exalted to the level or beyond God's thoughts. Much like we do in our life. And then they fell into the sin of trying to exalt themselves by their own work and being independent from God. And they chased after a different definition of greatness than God's. You see, God calls all this chasing after greatness sin. And back to this passage today in Mark chapter 9. Jesus goes on to teach us what God's definition of greatness really is. Look at verse 35. It says, And he sat down and called the twelve. He, much like the rabbis of the day, sat down because that was the position where rabbis would teach their pupils from a sitting position. And he himself, it's, He comes to the place where he defines greatness. In verse 35, it goes on, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Here, Jesus defines greatness as this serving for the glory of God. And in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus teaches a principle of greatness that flips the view of of what The world would call great and what he calls great he started with himself to teach this though you know Jesus is God and by definition he is perfect in every way right including his greatness he is first in priority but yet he says I am first but I will become last and I will become last by my service becoming a servant to all Isn't it crazy that the greatest person in the universe, Jesus the Christ, proves his love for us and he becomes a servant for all, including for us. Jesus serving us? Well, he talks about the mission that he came for in Mark 10.45 where he says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. His life mission was to serve and not to be served. And we know that his ultimate service when he died on the cross, freely to give his life as a ransom for all who would believe in him. This is the very heart of greatness. He himself who was first became last. And the Apostle Paul writes about Our great Jesus in Philippians 2, who was God and who became the servant of all. He writes this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I ask you one more time, can you, can you follow Jesus and desire to be great? He shows us and defines greatness for us And then he he exemplifies that very definition. In verse 36, it says, He took a child and put him in the midst of them. Here he shows us greatness in person. He takes a little kid and puts them in the middle of the disciples. And the one thing clearly they would see is that child is little and sort of helpless. Weak compared to us. And needy and having to receive everything. You see, here Jesus illustrates this great principle that he, he, was, he, he was making for them. And he wasn't showing for them that, that, Jesus, that this child is innocent and without sin, right? You know, um, this uh, last Yesterday, actually, I had uh, my three grandboys by myself for the day. And I can tell you, they're almost two, two years old and four years old. I can tell you that a a child is not innocent and without sin. (laughs) They are wonderful. I love them so dearly. (laughs) And yet that's not what Jesus is teaching. You see, what he is illustrating is this principle that he takes the little child into his arms and pronounces this in verse 37. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Now, what is the common trait of every child, regardless of background or culture. It is powerlessness, or we could call it helpless dependence. And Jesus is making a point that a child is on the receiving end of almost everything. This is, again, true of every child, regardless, both of in Jesus' day or ours. And see what Jesus is doing here. He is calling us to a helpless dependence on him. Notice, he says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Now in verse 37, anyone, how many times does the word receive appear? Go ahead, just shout it out. You quick processors. Four, you're right, four. Someone got it right in the back. Good job. You know, and four times in one verse. And this is for the point of emphasis. What do you think Jesus is trying to say? Receive. Don't come to me with your works. You know, lay them down. Come to me, not with your beauty or your strength or your smarts or your giftedness, or your abilities. Come to me with your need. As one writer said, all you need is need. All you need is nothing. Are you coming? Are we coming regularly before God with helpless dependence? You see, Jesus calls us to this. In God's kingdom, he inverts the what greatness really looks like. As we've seen, he flips upside down the true view of greatness. And he defines greatness as a person who is confident in their need for God's help. And the realization of our need produces humility. We constantly humble our hearts and our lives before Him in saying, God, yes, you've given me gifts. But help me not to focus on even if people are driving me in that direction. Even if the whole world says, you're great because you do something. Help me to realize I'm not great except for you call me great. And you give me greatness if I know you. You see, God created you in his image to know him and to seek him and His truth and to be satisfied with Him. And if you're here today, whether in person or online, and you are not a Christ follower, you know, you may have a lot of gifts. But, you know, but at some point, all those things that you found that you thought, hey, I'm great, I'm this or that, it's going to be empty. You're not going to be satisfied in it. There's going to be a place where you realize there's a loss There's a failure, and then you'll realize, hmm, I am needy. You see, can you follow Jesus and desire to be great? Well, maybe. You see, if you believe the culture's view of greatness, you will not be great. You might do a lot of stuff. The world may call you the greatest of all, but you will not be great. But if you believe God's definition for greatness, you see, serving for the glory of God, he calls that great. And he will lift you up and exalt you at the right time. And so today, I just encourage you, if you are a follower of Christ, that you would pursue his definition of greatness. That you would serve for the glory of God. And how do you do that practically? Well, just as you think about it, the first thing to do is to say constantly in your heart, Lord, I humble myself in your presence. I humble myself and I say to you, Lord, nothing really, as that old hymn says, nothing in my hands I bring, only to the cross I cling. God, I don't bring anything. I might have gifts and you all have them. I might have beauty or strength or abilities or I might be exalted in this way or that way or get this acclaim or that. But God, they're nothing compared to you. God, I humble my heart in your presence. And then ask him for strength to to really show kindness to people all around you, especially those who are hard for you to love, right? I mean, yeah, it's easy for us to be kind to our people we love or easy for us to care for. But I want to encourage you this week, your just application of this sermon is is to love those you wouldn't ordinarily love easily. Maybe it's someone in your neighborhood, you know, a neighbor next door. Maybe it's someone, you know, you're on a walk and you don't normally pause because you're so focused on your stuff and God calls you to just pause and pray for someone. Or maybe even just smile. Smile in the store, or whatever God calls you to do, that this week you would find a way to practically ask the Holy Spirit to serve Him and others for His glory. You see, that's true greatness. And our God Himself calls us to His greatness. So today, as we prepare our hearts and our lives for his supper. We come together and we want to to first and foremost uh, repent of our understanding of greatness. And we want to receive again his greatness. Remember, we have to look to Jesus who was the greatest of all, who went to the cross and became the servant of all, He died to rescue you from your sins when we totally didn't deserve it. His love and willingness to suffer, die, and come again. And he promises he's going to restore and make all things new. Jesus has come the greatest of all. He became the servant of all to prove God's greatest love for all who would receive him. So first and foremost, as we come to his supper, let's bow together. And let's take a moment to turn and repent. First of all, acknowledging ways we have fallen into the trap of believing the culture's view of greatness. So as we come to just a moment of silent repentance, Will you ask yourself, have you been chasing after greatness that will never satisfy you? So easy to do. Will you come before him, ask him that, and will you repent of any sin as you prepare, as we prepare together for his supper? Let's go before him in silent repentance now. Lord, we reject any view of greatness that is not according to your word. God, we so easily, in so many different ways, make it about me. Forgive us our sins. Lord, we receive together, we repent and reject of ways we think we've got to self-promote or follow our self interest Help us to come like children to serve for the glory of God in humbl- humility to be satisfied with you and your work. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast.
1: For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at The Vine CC.
0: Have a great week.